Today we're starting this new series in Ephesians, which probably more than any others of Paul's letters shows us the blessings that we have in Christ. I just recommend a few books uh, to you. Watchman Knees, Sit, Walk, Stand is a, a classic on the book of Ephesians. It's not expository or anything like that. It's just a summary of a couple of key points in there. Don't be deceived by this book. This is three of his books. It's only 60 pages. All of us could, uh, could read that. Sit, Walk, Stand by Watchman Knee. Another one for those of you that are saying, oh yeah, I like some, something really uh, uh, detailed and theological. Well, you can't go wrong with William Hendrickson. Again, don't be deceived by this thick book. It makes me look clever. Uh, but actually, there's five of his books in here. The, the book of an, on Ephesians is only about 300 pages uh, of that. So William Hendrickson on Ephesians. And of course, it wouldn't be me recommending books to you if I didn't recommend John Calvin on Ephesians, known as the greatest mind since the Apostle Paul. It, you know, it's really helpful to read writings from other periods of time because it highlights to you what are cultural issues that we're struggling with. Because you'll come across something and think, oh, I'd love to know more about this. And he doesn't spend much time on that area. He moves on to something else. And you think, oh, but that's a real key issue. Ah, and it begins to highlight to you what are just cultural issues that we're facing today. And there's stuff that he's, he will spend ages writing on. And you think, why on earth are you explaining this in such detail? It's because at the time he was struggling against Catholicism. And so that was a, an issue for him there. So it's just, yeah, it's helpful to read uh, commentaries from other periods as well. So there'd be three books that I'd recommend to you this week to, to try and read over the time. If you've read the book of Ephesians, you understand why David Pawson calls it the pearl of Paul's writings. As it's been referred to already, Barclay calls it the queen of his epistles. Paul wrote this book primarily to the church in Ephesus and the, the surrounding area. Ephesus was a strategic port city in the Roman Empire, now in modern-day Turkey. It housed one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the great temple to Artemis, or Diana, as she's known in the Latin. Paul was there for over two years, and God did extraordinary miracles. Even, even Luke records it in Acts. He did extraordinary miracles through Paul at that time. So much so that the gospel advanced massively, not only in Ephesus as a town, but in the surrounding area. And churches like Coloss, uh, Colossae was, a, was planted at that time, out of the work that God was doing in Ephesus. So whilst it's written primarily to Ephesus, actually... It was also considered to be a circular letter to the to churches in that area. And indeed, some of the early manuscripts that they found of this letter show that, it's, um, uh, that, that, that it lacks the word to the saints who are in Ephesus. It lacks in Ephesus. And it's, what it's, it's blank there. And what it's considered is that whoever was reading the letter in that town would insert the name of the town that they're in, uh, to the saints in Laodicea, to the saints in Colossae, or to the saints in Helsham, if you, if you like. Not that we're in modern-day Turkey. But uh, uh, yes, so that it, it was considered a bit of a circular letter. The book I just recommended by Watchman Nee, Sit, Walk, Stand, 
sums up the, uh, the book of Ephesians into three parts. And it says, you need to learn to sit in who you are in Christ before you can walk in all that Christ has for you and take your stand against the devil. During this series, you will see how blessed we are in Christ Jesus. Paul uses the image of being in Christ a lot. The Bible tells us not only is Christ in you and he's the hope of glory, but you are in Christ. I need two volunteers for this. And as I've got Phil and Chris here, let's, let's pick on them. So you need, to, you need to stay right behind me, okay? So, so if you come stand up here, you need to stay behind me. I'm uh, yeah, right behind me, and you can go behind her. And you can go behind. I'm, I'm the pilot of the plane, and they've got on a plane. You, most of you will recognize this, because most of you would have flied on a plane. You get in a plane, and you get nice and comfortable, and, you're, you're, you, and wherever the pilot takes you, you go. So the pilot starts going down the runway, and it flies up into the air. And it goes off and zooms off into, into the sunset, and it goes higher than you ever could yourself. Most planes now fly at 39,000 feet. Can you imagine? If you were to step outside the plane, apart from plummeting to your death, but if you didn't plummet to your death, you would freeze to death, and you wouldn't be able to breathe either. You'd pass out because of lack of oxygen. But because you're in the plane, these guys are happy. They're safe, they're there watching a film, or, or you know, they're protected because they're in the plane. Thank you, you can, you can grab your seat. Let's, let's give them a round of applause. <laughs> My friends, Bible, the, the Bible uses the image of us being in Christ. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, you are protected by him. When Saul persecuted the church, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When God looks at you, because you are in Christ Jesus, you are righteous and holy in God's sight. You are loved with an everlasting love in Christ Jesus. No weapon formed against you can prosper because you're in Christ and he's victorious. All God's promises are yes and amen to you in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be in Christ. And there's so much more as well, which we'll bring out over this series. We're just going to look at the first three verses today. And we're going to see how God has called us in Christ to be faithful saints who know that we have every spiritual blessing through the Holy Spirit's work in you and in me. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll just read these first three verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We'll leave it there. I know you want me to read on, but there's too much to to get through in those first three verses. Notice, firstly then, notice, Paul starts this letter as he does nine out of the 13 letters that he writes by stating he is an apostle of Christ 
Jesus. That is one sent on Christ's behalf to proclaim the gospel, to establish churches, to, to uh, establish foundational truth, to correct error, to raise up leaders and release the Holy Spirit's power amongst his people. That's what an apostle is called to do. And Paul knew what God had called him to do. He was called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And to that end, he gave all his time, his energy, his life to fulfilling what God had called Paul to do, to be an apostle. What about you here today? What's God called you to do here this morning? God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. It's full of meaning. It's full of, it's full of good stuff. It's full of eternal purpose, the Bible tells us. Because what you do for God here and now directly impacts the rewards that you'll receive in eternity. Don't be like the seed that fell amongst the rocks, that the fear of man or the fear of what might happen quenches what God has for you in your life. Don't be like the seed that fell amongst the weed and, and the, the, the cares of this world, it says, doesn't it? The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. Watch out for that one. Snuff out the life of God in the believer. Don't let anything distract you from what God has called you to do in your life. God's calling on your life is greater and will reward you more than anything else you can give your life to, anything else in this world. So, my friends, whatever God has called you to do, give your time, your energy, your finances, your life to doing what God has called you to do this morning. And you know, whatever God has called you to do, you can do it just as much as the Apostle Paul worked out his calling in God. Colossians 3 verse 23 makes it clear. You know, we've just finished a, a great series in Joseph. Joseph was called to be a prime minister of Egypt. We, could just, we just see a snippet of his life. Most of what he had to do would be pretty boring, pretty mundane, pretty useless, you know, not useless, but you know, pretty, uh, pretty uh, uninteresting. We just see a snippet of his life. Daniel had to administer uh, the whole of Babylon and the Babylonian Empire. Again, we just see a little snippet of what God had called him to do. But a lot of his life would have been taken up with things that he probably wasn't really that interested in. It was the king that had all the fun. He just had to get on and do the hard work. The prophet Amos was a shepherd and a, a tender of fig trees. Both jobs, hard work. Both jobs associated with the poor and the needy. My friends, whatever God has called you to, whether it be in business, whether it be in banking, whether it be teaching, whether it be manual labor, whether it be in retail or healthcare, whether it be to be at home with the kids for a season, whatever God has called you to do, you can do it to the, and should do it to the best of your ability for Christ Jesus. 
Now, some of you might be thinking, well, that's all right for Paul. It's, it's easy for him. His, his calling and what he, was, you know, what he did was all wrapped up into one. He was called to be an apostle. And, uh, you know, uh, my life has been turned upside down. And unlike the Fresh Prince, you haven't ended up in Bel Air. You've ended up here in Helsham thinking, oh, my goodness, God, what, what on earth am I doing here? And what's going to happen next? But my friends, you're oversimplifying the truth if that's what you think it was like for the Apostle Paul. He was a tent maker. He had to work long hours and hard hours making tents. He often went hungry. He was often mistreated. He was often left alone. He was imprisoned. Sometimes he was imprisoned for years. You can imagine him sitting there thinking to himself, my goodness, Lord, what are, what, what's going on here for me? You know, the the churches have got all these issues. I want to be out there sorting them out. There's these new areas. I want to go and plant churches for you and your glory. And I'm stuck here just writing a few letters to people. God, I want to be out there. But praise God, because out of that trial for Paul, out of that irritating circumstance, came the pearl of this letter, Ephesians, and many other letters. How many people through the ages have been blessed by Paul's letters written while he was in those irritating circumstances of prison. My friends, who knows what God wants to do in your life through the difficult circumstances that you find yourself? What beauty, what blessing is he going to bring out of it as you trust him, as you look to him. It wasn't the path that you chose for yourself. It wasn't your plan. But God, it was God's plan for you. And he has a way of working things around that we didn't expect and bringing much good out of it. Some of you will be here worried and thinking, ah, but have I, have I missed what God's calling me to do? Have I, you know, I'm not sure I've, I've heard it. My friends, the one who gave you a mouth so you can speak knows how to communicate clearly the one who gave you these things so that you can hear, knows how to speak to you in a way that you will hear him if you're listening. So my friends, don't worry about that. At the right time, if you're seeking God and living for him, he will reveal to you greater detail of what he wants you to do with your life. But in the meantime, Micah 6 verse 8 tells us, he has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly before your God. It's simple. It's us who like to overcomplicate things. Jesus put it this way. Love God and love your neighbor. Then you fulfilled the whole law. That's what God requires of you. Love God and love your neighbor. And one of the ways you love your neighbor is by telling him about the love of God through Jesus. So it's simple. It's not rocket science. For some of you, you've never sought God. For God, what are you calling me to do? You've never even thought like that. God, God has a purpose, a plan for my life. And you need to start doing it today, my friends. The Apostle Paul knew what God had called him to. What about you this morning? Secondly, we're called to be faithful saints in Christ Jesus. 
I don't know what you think about when you think of saints. You may think of these two handsome guys up here, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul, looking there, you know, very holy there. You may think of the, net, you know, the, the national saints like St. George or St. Edmund or St. Bede, who, uh, you know, got the school locally here. You may think of someone a bit more modern who's lived an exceptional life like, you know, Mother Teresa or somebody like that. The Bible uses the term saint to describe someone who is set apart for God, someone who is sanctified. In the Old Testament, it referred to the Israelites who were living for the Lord. In the New Testament, it refers to the Christians, the church, who have been set apart for Christ. As it says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, it says this, You were washed, you were sanctified, set apart, You have been justified in the name of the Lord. My friends, you have been set apart for Christ. If you're a Christian here today, if you're a believer, you have been set apart for God, and you need to see yourself, your life, as one that is set apart for God. It's a little bit like this. If you were to join the army, most of us know people who have joined the armed forces. When you go and you sign that piece of paper for however many years you sign it for, you belong to that particular part of the armed services that you've signed your life over to for that period of time. Your commanding officer, (laughs) they're in charge of you. You have to do what he or she tells you to, whether you like it or not. You've given yourself over. You've been set apart to the army. My friends, we have been set apart in Christ Jesus for God and for the works of God. You are the saints of Helsham. And that's how you're to, to see yourself. Yes, the sa- Helsham has saints. Even if you're a Brighton fan, you can still be a saint here this morning. And as saints, we're called to be faithful in Christ. It's a bit below the belt there. Was that? Was a bit, that was a bit too much. You could cope with what I was saying until I got, got to there. As saints, you're called to be faithful in Christ Jesus. The most famous verse of scripture, you all know it, don't you? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And as saints, you have already done that. You have believed, you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. And in uh, this Second bit in Ephesians chapter 1, the second part of the first verse, it says, where it says, We are faithful in Christ Jesus. That word faithful could be translated full of faith in Christ. You are set apart for Christ because you are full of faith in Him. But because you've been set apart, you are also called to be faithful to Him. In that most famous uh, verse of scripture in John 3. That chapter ends by saying these words to us. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Do you see that subtle difference in the verse there? If you believe, you have life. If you don't believe, you don't have life. Yes, that's, that's true, but it doesn't say that, does it? It says, whoever does not obey. And it's not teaching salvation by obedience, by 
works because the first part makes it clear it's salvation by faith, by, by believing in him. You see, as Steve Braden brilliantly last week showed us, as people that have been set apart for Christ, as Christians, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in us. Or to put it another way, our faith leads to action, not idleness. Our faith leads to action, not idleness. Jesus said it this way, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Very simple. Don't kid yourself here this morning. We're saved by faith, not by works, but because of our faith in Jesus and because of his work in us, our lives should be characterized by increased faithful obedience and surrender to Jesus. My friends, does that describe you here this morning? Increased faithful obedience and surrender to Jesus Christ. Because that's what we're all called to as believers. Lastly, whilst there's so much I'd like to say on uh, verse 2, where he uses the words grace and peace, and they're not just nice greetings, they're theologically packed terms, and it's not grace and peace from the Lord Almighty, the great I am, it's from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we, we're, we are saved, we become Christians through knowing you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. But uh, there's so much I'd like to say about that, but we need to look at verse 3, where it says... The Father has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Turn to the person next to you and say, The Father has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Amen. Amen. You know, Lloyd-Jones, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, on this verse... Verse 3 of chapter 1 says, is a summary verse of the whole of the book of Ephesians. He says, Paul takes the rest of the book to explain this one verse that he says, this, this, this summary statement here. He also says that actually each member of the Trinity is mentioned in this verse. Because where it says every spiritual blessing, he says it could equally be translated every blessing of the Spirit. Even if you don't uh, accept his, his way of translating that, where it says spiritual blessing, the rest of the New Testament makes it clear that we only receive the spiritual blessing through the work of the Holy Spirit. So each member of the Trinity is implied, if not directly stated. With the coming of Jesus, our understanding of God, has this one God that we worshipped, has so greatly uh, increased. This God, we realize, is much greater than we can fully understand or comprehend. So before we go any further in this book, I just need to do a little bit of deep theology with you. Are you okay for some deep theology this morning? So I'll make it simple. I'm good, I'm good at doing that because I am simple myself. You know, that's why they call me Simon, but uh, it's all right. So uh, we're going to go through the triangle of orthodoxy 
with you. This is a, this is a tr- Trinitarian tri- triangle of all orthodoxy. These, this, the, the triangle doesn't represent God, but it represents three key truths that the Bible teaches us about God that we have to hold in tension. The Bible makes it clear that there is one God who has eternally existed, who is worthy of our worship, of our praise, of our adoration. He alone is worthy of that. But this one God has eternally existed as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All of them equal, or to put it another way, all of them are fully God. So it's not the Father plus the Son plus the Spirit equals God. No, the Father is fully God. The Son is fully God. The Spirit is fully God. But there's not three gods, there's one God. So I said, you can't fully understand it, you can't fully grasp it, you think, that doesn't quite, how does that work? But that's what the Bible teaches us about this one God. And the great thing about remembering it like this as a triangle is because if you remove any one of those sides, if you you neglect one of those truths, it drifts, it, it ceases to be a triangle and it becomes an arrow pointing to an error that you will believe, a heretical view. So if you get rid of the fact that they're all equal, you drift into an error which is called subordinationism, which means that the Son and the Spirit effectively are less in their person than the Father. Or if you get rid of the one God bit, then you drift into polytheism and you start drifting into that error as well. Or if you get rid of the three persons side of it, if you begin to neglect that truth, you drift into what they call modalism, which is basically, you know, God's like a, a drama student, and one day, I'll be the father, I'm feeling serious today. One day, oh, I'm full of action, I feel like I'll be the son, or a bit quirky, so he's going to be the spirit today. I, I don't know if that's an accurate representation of the three, but, uh, but you know, um, that's an error that we can drift into. So we need to hold them in tension, because that is why Jesus can say that the father, he and the Father will make his home in you when the Bible makes it clear that it's the Spirit that lives inside of you. Because the Spirit is fully God, you see. That's why Jesus can say that. Or Paul can go on in this letter to write that you and I can be filled with the fullness of God because the Spirit is in us. That's why Jesus could say to Philip, Philip, how can you say, show us the Father Don't you understand, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because the fullness of deity dwelt in Jesus bodily. That's why Jesus can receive worship. That's why Peter could say to Ananias and Sapphira, why have you lied to the Spirit? You've not lied to man, you've lied to, to God, to the living God. And Paul gets so carried away with how the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit have blessed us to the praise of his glory that he doesn't stop for breath for 11 verses. If you were to look at this in the Greek, in the original, verses from verse 3 to 14, it's one long sentence in the Greek. You try saying that without drawing breath. I tell you, you'll probably die in the process. But my friends, the point is this. God has blessed you beyond what you can imagine or fully comprehend. If you are here this morning and you're feeling inadequate, 
you're feeling not good enough. You're feeling a bit of a failure. You're feeling like, oh, I'm not strong enough to keep going like this. There is good news for you this morning. Christ has all you need, and through the Spirit, gives you access to every spiritual blessing that there is in the heavenly places. You don't run from him. You run to God when you've got problems. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you're not in Christ, as a, to use the expression in this passage, and you think, actually, I, I want to be. I realize I need to get right with God because the things that we have done, there's things that we have said, there's things that we have thought that are wrong, that offend God, that separate us from him naturally. And if you want to get right with him this morning, God has made a way through Jesus' death on the cross. Just pray this in your heart along with me now, if that's you here this morning, because God can see what you're thinking in your heart. Just pray this. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus to die for me. Please forgive me of all that I've done, said and thought that offends you. And through your spirit, help me to live the rest of my life for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, the Bible says believe in your heart, but it also says confess with your mouth. Please come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to speak to you or talk to the person that brought you. I'd love to give you a little booklet like this which would explain more about what you've uh, prayed and what Jesus has done for you. But finally, my friends, on, on this point, and I'm, I'm finishing with this, please note that it's every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that God has for you. Not every material blessing for here and now, as some people would teach. Remember, Paul was writing this letter from being in prison. And Paul's faithful obedience to, to God meant that he left this life with his head being chopped off, only owning the clothes that he was wearing at the time, and a few books. don't know if that's how you want to leave this life. But what an eternal royal reward that the Apostle Paul would have got for all that he did for Christ. My friends, we're not living for here and now. We're called as Christians, as saints, to live for eternity. If God does bless you with material stuff, that's great. That's wonderful. Give generously to your church. Give generously to the poor. Give generously to your family and enjoy what God's given you. But know that he will hold you to account for all that he has given you. And he'll reward you accordingly. So it's not about material blessing here and now. It's about spiritual blessing for you. Life here on earth may well get harder for you as you live for God. And you certainly will go through tough times. The Bible makes that clear. Jesus makes that very clear. That if you follow him, you will go through tough times. But we're not living for here and now. We mustn't get distracted by that. We are living for eternity. We are focusing on the age to come where God will renew all things. And Ephesians 2 tells us that God is going to spend eternity pouring out his immeasurable riches 
of his grace in kindness towards us. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That the living God is going to spend eternity pouring out his immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards you. And even the difficulties that you go through in this life, the Apostle Paul tells us that the sufferings of this present life are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Hallelujah. All this, my friends, is ours because we're in Christ Jesus. God has called you to be faithful saints who know we have every spiritual blessing through the Holy Spirit's work in us. Amen? Amen. Can I call the the band back up? Just let this word percolate as 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 the band come back up. God has a calling for your life. Do you know what it is? Are you going through a difficult patch at the moment and need a fresh touch from God? God is calling you to increased faithful obedience and surrender to him. Are you in a place at the moment where that describes you? Or do you need some prayer? Do you need someone to come alongside you and help you at this particular time? My friends, are you getting distracted by the things of this life? Or is your focus set on eternity? We just just sing this next song. We'll just sing it a bit and then I'll, I'll interrupt the band at some time uh, during the song and I'll call people to respond to that. If you need prayer this morning, if you know you're being distracted, then, uh, yeah, or if you know you're thinking, God, I don't know what you're calling me to. I, I, I need you to come and speak to me. I'll, I'll call us to respond. But let's just, let's just uh, sing this great song that we're we're about to sing and, uh, and open up our hearts to Jesus. So can I invite you to stand? You have been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Hailsham. For more information or to contact us, visit ChristchurchHailsham.org.